I guess the best caveat to start off with here is most things are marketplaces, but we never really realize that under the hood that they're actually marketplaces. To use kind of a, a creator specific example, you know, if you think of a marketplace, you might think of eBay, Etsy, you know, someone selling their goods on Etsy, that sort of thing, right? But TikTok's a marketplace. Your buyers and sellers, just the currency happens to be clicks, right? Twitch is a marketplace. Uh, all of these things are actually just marketplaces where you have one side selling some good or service, the other and being compensated in some way for it, and the other side consuming those goods or services, either for free or paying, depending on how the dynamics work out. But they're all actually marketplaces under the hood. I'm Jesse Clemens, and this is Creator Kit, where each week we shine the spotlight on awesome new tools and services for the creator economy and unpack how they might help you grow your creator business faster. Creator Kit is presented by Highbeam. Highbeam solves message overload for creators by organizing and prioritizing DMs and comments in one unified workspace, so you never miss an important message again. You can find us at highbeamapp.com. On this episode of Creator Kit, we talk to Sahil Hassan. Sahil is the co-founder of Dots, a company that simplifies the very complicated world of online payments. On today's show, we talk about creator platforms as marketplaces, why payment systems are due for an overhaul, and why decentralized creator co-ops are the future. Let's get to it. Sahil, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Really awesome to have you on. I'm excited about today's conversation. This one is an interesting one in that you guys are certainly a tool that creators, especially larger growing creators, may use for payments and payments infrastructure. And then sort of separately and in a similar way, you're a technology that can empower and power creator companies, uh, you know, marketplaces, creator companies across the creator sphere. One of the focuses of the show as you know, is about all the different tools that creators can use to grow their businesses. And I think this will offer a, a sort of exciting behind the scenes look at some of the more slightly more technical elements of what it takes to make the creator world go around. So really excited to have you on. Yeah, thank you for having me. That's a fantastic intro. Cool. So we initially met in a Slack group slash community run by Legion, who's a, a major investor in the creator economy space and a sort of a thought leader as well. And when we first met within that group, you were working on a slightly different focus area, which was around kind of like micropayments slash frictionless wallet for creators or for anyone that wanted to accept payments over the internet. You uh, then pretty quickly narrowed in on this payments infrastructure focus, which is now the direction that, that Dots is headed and, and uh, where, you, where you guys will be growing your business. Would you mind giving us a little background on the origin story of Dots? Where, where did it come from? Where are you now? What led you guys to seize on this idea? How did you discover it? And how are you bringing it into the world? Yeah. So as you said, Dots really started off as a pretty simple idea, I guess. Like a, a really, it, it boiled down to a simple sentence. What if I could pay like 20 cents to read something on Wall Street Journal? That idea is the genesis of where Dot started. And it, it became kind of between me and my co-founder, this kind of very back and forth thing of, oh, it would be cool if you could kind of make it social. You can make it, you know, paying 30 cents uh, to your favorite creator on YouTube, that sort of thing. 
And so Dots really started off as kind of this frictionless wallet to let people pay for the content that they like, but not necessarily having to pay like 10 bucks for a monthly subscription, but allowing a bit more of a one-off kind of purchasing pattern. Let's put it that way. The genesis of Dots in around that thesis was basically very early 2021. Having a lot of back and forth with my co-founder and I, we were both working tech jobs at, at Google at the time got pretty enthralled with that idea pretty quickly and got into Y Combinator, which obviously starts accelerating every life plan that you have up to that point. You know, we quit our jobs. We suddenly became founders. We suddenly went from, yeah, this is a cool idea to talk about of, oh man, how the hell do we build this thing? And in that process, just as quickly as we went from idea to this is our life now, we pretty quickly realized that everybody and their sister had tried to build a microtransactions platform. And part of the reason it wasn't ever going to work in today's society in the United States was because no one had done the less, I guess, cool or attractive thing of building out actual payments infrastructure to make all of these instant money transfers even viable in the first place. Like at its core, it really boils down to kind of a simple set of statements. Most people don't know this, but when you do a bank transfer, any bank transfer in the United States, it actually at the end of the day is literally like a random text file uploaded to a, a server that's running on infrastructure like 50 years old at a federal building. And that it's, is terrifying. It's a CSV file. It's literally a CSV file is what powers all of our money movement today, basically totally insane yeah when you say bank transfer you don't just mean like me wiring 500 bucks to my roommate you're talking about like any payment that happens online is it, is it like everything pretty much the only real exception you can even think of is like a venmo to venmo payment like something that stays within venmo or something that stays within paypal is never actually a bank transfer underneath the hood because they're all stored in this giant bank account. And so it's just an internal, they flip some bits around in a database and suddenly that money is magically yours. But the second you try to take it out, yeah, it's all CSV files. And so what we pretty quickly realized from trying to build a product is it turns out that if you have to wait three days to move money around, even if it's like 10 cents and you have to trust CSV files to do it, your life gets really, really hard pretty quickly. And actually you hit on one important point, which is the like delay and the timing, which is probably, I would guess that most consumers, users, creators, anyone that moves money around online, which is pretty much everyone at this point, the only time you really feel the pain of it is that delay. And it feels really, I don't think most people really know the background of like the, of bank balances within one system and why that's instant transfer verse. If I have two chase accounts and which I do, and I move money from one to the other, it's a click and it's done. It's amazing. But if I wanted to move to my Charles Schwab account, it takes three or four days, which seems absolutely crazy in a world where I can FaceTime with friend in India in you know perfect 1080 PhD. The infrastructure behind that's kind of interesting. I guess most people don't know this. Building a bank, the in building a bank, the hardest part is getting the charter, like getting the legal paperwork done. To actually build a bank, you literally need three things. A place to store money, 
a way to send money out of your system and a, say, a way to take money into your system, which are those CSV files that we just talked about. If legal paperwork didn't exist, everybody could build a bank in their own house if they wanted to. It would take you like a week. Right. So dialing into this specific use case for DOTS, tell us about the problem that, that you guys are working on solving or, the, or have solved and are working on bringing out into the world. Yeah, you touched upon it pretty well, and I'll just expand uh, upon what you're saying, right? Fundamental problem, bank transfers take like three days. Nobody really likes to use their bank account and how they spend money today. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but the last time I touched my bank account to actually do anything useful with it was many months ago. And at this point, I just paid with everything through PayPal or Venmo or my credit card, something like that, right? And so this sort of money movement is, it's slow. It's not really what anyone I feel like below the age of 40 does anymore. And we wanted to build out at its core a way to just get paid in how you actually move money today. So like have money just instantly show up in your Venmo, have money instantly show up in your PayPal, your Cash App, your Zelle, regardless of how the person on the other end is paying. Like it seems to us pretty ludicrous that the only way money shows up in your Venmo is if someone pays you on Venmo. Like that kind of doesn't make a lot of sense from a business perspective. But you if you flip it and you think about like what PayPal PayPal wants out of Venmo, it makes sense why they want to like disincentivize anyone from keeping money outside of their system. But we want to be the great equalizer there and just have an interconnect between all of these things and allow that money to move as fast as humanly possible. Super cool. So the two things that I'm hearing, number one is the speed. Number two is there it's probably really annoying to operate multiple ways of getting paid to keep, to like reconcile, like what is your balance in each of these systems? If I had Venmo, PayPal, you know, buy me a coffee to use a, a random creator service, I need to do it today. Do I need to like go into each one of them separately? If I want to like send them to my bank account, maybe I can do some sort of recurring. You can have it recurringly offload for sure. Like it's not, it's definitely not infrastructure that lives in the the complete stone ages. Like it, it, you don't have to to step in, but all of those processes have to be different. And in fact, it's one step further. So if you look at Gumroad, right, like another relatively creator friendly company. If you... and, and just just quickly to describe to any audience members that aren't familiar with Gumroad, Gumroad is a marketplace that anyone can use. And many customers of theirs are creators to sell basically creator goods. They could be digital products. They could be, well, it's a lot of digital products, but some physical merch as well. Yeah. And their, I guess, primary innovation, if, if you'll call it that, was just creating payment links. Like you could put the link anywhere and you anyone could click on it and just pay you money and get their good. And here's an interesting thing about how Gumroad pays people out. If you go on Gumroad today and you pay via a credit card, like on Stripe, the classic credit card form, that money will go into a, a what's called a Stripe Connect account. That Stripe Connect account will ask the seller for their social security number, a bunch of like identifying information because we have money laundering laws in the United States. And then that money, you can then ask for that money in your bank account. But if you did that same credit card, but you paid through PayPal, it doesn't go through Stripe Connect and it actually can only go to your PayPal account on Gumroad. Like there's an entire logical separation there for based entirely off how the other person on the other side of the screen happens to choose to pay that day. And that's a lot of extraneous effort for like any creator to have to manage. At that point, you have to become 
a pseudo bookkeeper almost, right? And like you need to know, okay, 80% of my transactions are in PayPal, 20% are in my bank account. So all my business money needs to kind of be moved around in this way to even it out or something along those lines, right? Yeah. And that's a full-time job in its own. We actually we ha- uh, recently had Alice from a company called My Pocket CFO on the show, and she was describing what an absolute nightmare it can be for an individual to try to manage finances. And just this one little area on its own seems like a pretty big headache. Yeah. And basically, now if you go on Gumroad and you also have a buy me a coffee link, that's a third one that you now have to ledger. And I mean, I would guess that the overlap between creators and people willing to write a bunch of API connectors to like figure out what their transactions are is relatively low because that's a lot of overhead for any single individual to have to take on. Like I can, I mean, I code for a living and I could tell you I wouldn't do it probably, but it just seems absolutely ludicrous that that's the system we have today. Just because at, at its core, Stripe and PayPal don't like each other. And so they don't play nice with each other and try to block each other off. And so our goal is really to just be the connectors between them so people don't have to think about it anymore. Amazing. So moving past, I guess, the like operational burden that creators or anyone that's accepting payment faces, the flip side of it that you kind of alluded to is the friction on the consumer or user side. I know like forgetting about the creator sphere, just like any purchase I'm making online, you hit the cart, you're presented with a buffet of options. Sometimes it's a buffet of one PayPal. Sometimes it's like, okay, they have PayPal and they use maybe Shopify's in the mix, maybe, maybe a few other options. It really does impact my decision to purchase. There's many been many times when I've gone to purchase some sort of direct-to-consumer product I'm not presented with my preferred payment option and my gears start turning. I say, uh, I wonder if Amazon has this. I go over to Amazon and if they have it, because I know it's a click, I'm like, just saving me a few seconds makes a big difference. But for the creator or the person selling the end product, it's really unclear, like which is the bigger evil, the friction for the user that's suppressing sales or is it the operational burden of managing multiple, like if you did add three, four, five, six payment solutions? So it's really cool to hear you guys tackling this problem, building the bridge between them. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like, you know, you're the same company that should help you move money around in one way, should actually help you move money around, even if it's outside of their system. But that's not what kind of these big payment processors are doing. And so it seems like the correct answer, at least on our end, is to just be the layer on top and and connect all of it together and just be the guys that make that entire process easier, even if that's maybe not as fun to talk about in some ways as microtransactions is. It is interesting that you're talking about the the one-click checkout, though, because rather early on in DOTS, I got a little curious about what my own behavior pattern is because my, my sense of self was that it wouldn't matter because I don't particularly mind like typing in my credit card information or something like that. That was kind of the hypothesis I was going in. And then I like kept somewhat track of it for about a couple of weeks when I was just buying random things and pretty quickly discovered that if there was a pay with PayPal button, the time it took me to decide to purchase basically went from what was minutes with credit cards to like sub 10 seconds. Like it was like instantaneously. So even in my own sense of self where I thought it wouldn't make a difference, it actually turns out it makes a pretty massive difference. 
Definitely. Have you ever seen any of those like sort of viral videos of people doing like uh, ridiculous comedy sketches of like if a conference call was in real life and then they're like, you know, showing people popping in and out of a room, dropping off the line, the internet connection dropping. If you think about like the if internet payments were real life and I walk up to a hot dog stand, someone has, you know, hands me a piece of paper with seven lines on it to fill out before I can buy a hot dog. That experience kind of sucks. So it's funny that we've put up with it for so long on the internet. Yeah. I mean, credit cards weren't really ever built for the internet, despite the fact that we seem to pretend that they were right. Like they were built in the 1950s by in Fresno of all places, California. I guess this is a bit of a fun story, but I, uh, so I'll go off on a, a bit of a tangent. Like nobody thought credit cards would work. The first time they tried credit cards, I can't remember the city they tried it in. It like exploded. It just didn't work. And then the Bank of America decided that they wanted to launch credit cards in Fresno, California. And what they did was they convinced like a little over half of the city merchants to like just accept credit cards and we'll pay you. Like, don't worry about it. We'll send you the money. And that like sort of worked because what they did, which is actually illegal now, but what they did back then was they just mailed everybody in Fresno a credit card and just went, <laughs> this thing works now. Have fun with it. And then like over time, they became this thing that people just inherently trust and inherently use all the time. But if you go look at American data today, 60% of people don't use credit cards for credit. Like they pay off their balance every month fully, right? I mean, I, I can speak for myself. I do that. Uh, I'm sure you probably most of the time end up doing that as well. And so the question is, if we're not using a credit card for credit, why does it still exist? And the answer is because it's the only way we figured out to pay with things online. And as soon as someone figures out something better there, I don't know what the future of credit cards will be, but I'd be very curious to find out. Yeah, super interesting. With your solution, is there anything unique about credit cards that is handled differently than like someone paying with a debit card or paying with their Venmo balance? Like how does that factor into the solution you guys are building? Technically, there's a rather vast difference. Like we have to be treat them. They're entirely separate processes from a user experience. You wouldn't be able to tell. Got it. So it's sort of one of those things that just kind of happens behind the scenes and can uh, the consumer and the user don't have to worry too much about, but it is heavy lifting that exactly. your company has to do. It is arguably the most brittle part of our company is just that heavy lifting is non-trivial because those processes don't look anything at all alike. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of behind the scenes, heavy lifting, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, this product dots is not just for like individual developers that are setting up their own sites. It can also be used by companies. And I know you had mentioned that one example of a company type that might apply to our creator audience is a marketplace marketplace where there's buyers and sellers of products that are you know hosted by another third-party company what does that look like and how do you guys contribute to the success of uh of companies either like theoretically in the future or today whatever you want wherever you want to go yeah so i guess the best caveat to start off with here is most things are marketplaces, but we never really realize that under the hood that they're actually marketplaces, right? Oh, interesting. So to use kind of a, a creator specific example, you know, if you think of a marketplace, you might think of what uh, eBay, Etsy, you know, someone selling their goods on Etsy, that sort of thing, right? But TikTok's a marketplace. Your buyers and sellers, just the currency happens to be clicks, 
right? Twitch is a marketplace. All of these things are actually just marketplaces where you have one side selling some good or service, the other and being compensated in some way for it, and the other side consuming those goods or services, either for free or paying, depending on how the dynamics work out. But they're all actually marketplaces under the hood. And so really our goal is to power those systems because especially when you start looking at marketplaces that have regular people on both ends, Amazon is an example of a marketplace that has just businesses on their supplier side, right? There's very few regular people that sell things on Amazon. It's all just companies. But like Etsy is almost like overwhelmingly 95% of them are just human beings trying to do something either as a side hustle for fun. Some of them actually do well enough to make a living off of it, but the vast majority are just kind of doing it. And those folks aren't going to go and like build a business bank account. They're not going to go through all of these like hoops that companies tend to jump through to get paid by these companies. And so we really want it to just be as simple as, yeah, I want to sell something on Etsy and it'll just show up on my PayPal as soon as it's sold. Right. That's kind of the goal right now. Obviously we're starting with much smaller things than Etsy. You got to prove that you're, you're ready like in everything else in life. But you know, we power some pretty interesting marketplaces. We power a company called Zappy. They do esports tournaments. We're actually their entire wallet. So Zappy has this wallet that people can fill up with money. They use that money to then like buy entries into particular tournaments and then hold their winnings at the end. And then they can withdraw it to ACH, uh, ACH as a bank transfer. So to their bank account, to PayPal, to Venmo. And we power that whole system for them. So do they have their own currency or is it in dollars? Because I'm thinking of like the gaming world where sometimes you can buy coins within games. Is it a scenario like that or is it just dollars? In their right case? now, it's just dollars. It's pretty interesting. They've gotten very international very quickly. So they have everything is handled in dollars. And so there are some folks out in Germany that love to play Call of Duty tournaments that are absolutely just funding us in dollars and receiving payouts internationally through PayPal. Interesting. Well, that I guess leads me to another, uh, hopefully not a rabbit hole, but just a quick question. A lot of creators are thinking hard about cryptocurrencies and payments via blockchain and all this kind of crazy new stuff. Does any of it intersect with your world or are you focused only on fiat or traditional currency at this point? As of right now, we're focused on fiat currency. It is a bit of a rabbit hole. Why? The two sentence summary is one, generally speaking, banks do not particularly like if you try to dabble in both fiat and crypto. They're okay with you being in one or the other, but not both usually. The other is for the purposes of paying people, it seemed disingenuous to pay people in something that could lose value overnight and is something that is not a stably pegged currency just yet. I would guess that we may do some forays into crypto at some point, but even then it will be forays into like stable coins because we, even though you want to keep creators paid in the ways that they want, and we want to offer that flexibility, we also want to promote financial well-being and make sure people are doing things in a responsible manner and, you know, chucking it into Dogecoin, chucking all <laughs> of your monthly earnings into Dogecoin may not quite jive with that. Goal. Right. Okay. So focus on empowering people to better handle the money that they're already earning in the real world, so to speak. And uh, sounds like based on your description of the current financial infrastructure, that is a uh, big enough problem to solve. So it makes sense that you're staying focused on it. Yeah. We, we like to start small and punch a little bit above our weight class. 
Love it. Love it. So what's the current status? Can anyone sign up for Dots today or do you have a wait list or yeah, you how can, should people think about this? You service? can go to our website, sign up for a demo. Right now, I, with a very high degree of certainty, I myself will be on that call. If it's not me, <laughs> it'll definitely be my co-founder. Amazing. So we're more than happy to to give you the rundown on exactly how we think we can help you. If your viewers don't necessarily want to sign up for a call, sit in a video chat, you can send an email to info at senddots.com and we read all of those and can do it a little more like asynchronously or via text if that's something you're more comfortable with. Awesome. And we'll definitely include that email address in the show notes. Is there anywhere else that folks can reach out to you that is worth mentioning? I think those two forums are checked pretty often. As long as I'm awake, I will be reading that info email. So (laughs) there's only about six or seven hours out of the day where that one is not read. Awesome. Keep it simple. Exactly. One more question for creators that are on the smaller size or possibly growing into needing a solution like yours, but they don't have necessarily development chops or maybe they don't have a developer that they work with already. Do you guys do any like pairing with third-party developers or do you help people with the install or is it easy enough that people don't need developer? It's it's a few lines of code, but if you have no development experience, it's still non-trivial to set up. That being said, we are more than happy to do it for you at this stage, as long as you're very explicit on what you want on that front. And we have a few developers that we know that would be happy to do it for you as well. Awesome. One more pop question that we ask almost all of our guests. I was curious, who is your favorite creator? Does anyone come to mind that you uh, that's your favorite, either all-time favorite or your favorite today? Yeah, my instinctive answer is the all-time favorite, and that has to be the kind of the content I grew up watching. I'll give two answers if that's okay. Absolutely. One, I grew up watching Rooster Teeth, which is, you know, a really large media company right now. Achievement Hunter, I've watched since I was like 11 years old. I'm 24 now, and I still probably watch them at least a couple times a month. I Founding a company leaves you a little less time to watch it than you would like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then the second is just kind of, I remember the very early days of Machinima, and that probably got me very, is one of the major reasons I learned how to program when I was a kid in the first place, because Machinima is what got me loving video games in a way I didn't anticipate loving them before, to a point where my gamer tag and everything is from an age-old Machinima series filmed in like Halo 3 called Spriggs. It's a, a little for the older side of individuals, just that's the caveat I'll give, but both of those guys, fantastic. Yeah, Machinima was a very cool car. Are they still around? Maybe he uh, is still around. I think they got bought by someone, but I can't yeah, remember I think who. I believe there is an acquisition. But for anyone that's not familiar with the company, it was really groundbreaking and that they took a, a real big swing at becoming the next kind of like big broadcast company, except for that they did majority streaming on YouTube. So they were one of the big first multi-channel networks. Or Yeah. It? multi-channel networks, MCNs, I believe is what, what they're called, but basically companies that own a huge library of different content types. And it was a super cool company and I think very foundational to the gaming space and live streaming and all of that. Yeah, I think at their peak, the only people bigger than them, which this might be dating my age a little bit, was like Ray William Johnson and Smosh. Got it. Like it was those two and then Machinima had everybody else. Awesome. Any wild and crazy predictions for the creator economy in the next five, 10 years? 
I think in the next five years, you're going to see like the moral equivalent of creator co-ops pop up as websites. Like they're just going to be these, they're not necessarily going to be crypto powered, but they're going to be decentralized in the sense that they're just pop-up shops run by a bunch of creators that really like each other that don't like YouTube anymore and instead move into their own ecosystems that they just pay some dev shop to, to spin up for them. That's awesome. So I was following you around the kind of autonomous organization or like the co-op portion of it. Then you moved into another area. You think that folks are going to stand up their own white labeled platforms rather than relying on distribution from YouTube. And at least in part, I don't think they're ever going to move entirely off of YouTube. Not as long as ad revenue pays out the way that it does. And not as long as finding content is as hard as it is. But I do think that they're going to just what Patreon has done for paid content in general, you're going to see more and more creators either use Patreon in some sort of pseudo white labeled way, or a new competitor to Patreon is going to pop up that works similar to Substack, where they offer all the infrastructure, but it can be completely white labeled away and look like it's your own website. Super cool. Yeah, there's something really special about the way that collabs have become really a critical part of the creator economy. And uh, when you see it in action, it's really cool and really powerful to see this like um, mashup of worlds. Like I, I was thinking about in the podcasting space, I listened to the All In podcast. We just had Henry Belcaster on the pod. I think we'll publish in a couple of weeks. He's um, sort of like a, he's not on the podcast, but he's mentioned quite frequently by the, by the All In podcast crew. And that's a case where each of the, I don't know if you'd call them cast members, but the personalities on the show who are all VCs, big VCs in the space, they're like interesting folks in their own right. Jason Calcanis, David Sachs, like these sort of like big VC characters, they got on, they started talking about politics and it became this kind of runaway success because of the way that personalities jived with one another and created this like new different energy that's like totally different than if you, you know, if you listen to This Week in Startups, which was Jason Calcanis's pod, it was like, it's a quite a different tone. So I think you're totally right. I think we're going to see more of it and we're going to see a need for more infrastructure that can power these unique experiences, probably not replacing the existing platforms, but supplementing them and being a space where like your biggest fans can find you and connect with you as a creator in different ways. And there's definitely a ton of need for more infrastructure for stuff like that. And I'm sure dots will be in the mix. Yeah. And I mean, I guess the, the only statement I'll make to that is if you go look at historical trends, every time there's a new revolution in technology, like 15, a couple decades later, people unionize and work together in some way and suddenly take a lot of power back from conglomerations that were kind of abusing the fact that they were so early into the game that they could get away with anything. And we're starting to near that timeline when it comes to kind of YouTube and that sort of thing. So my guess is that trend isn't going to miraculously stop. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely like a pendulum that's hopefully near kind of its peak swing towards power of the platforms and is going to start rotating back to the creators. I mean, even just from the creators that I speak to quite frequently, the change in dynamic from going from two big platforms, well, putting Twitch aside, two big like mainstream platforms, I guess Twitch is mainstream now as well, but YouTube and Instagram, the real big spaces for creators, there wasn't really enough crossover between the two platforms to give any edge or power 
to the creators. Now TikTok is here and all of a sudden these creator funds are popping up to actually compensate the biggest uh, creators. And this creates a whole new set of opportunities like for our company, Highbeam, the opportunities to take DMs and comments that happen in multiple places, multiple platforms and help prioritize them in a single workspace. But there's a whole bunch of other stuff that will come out of it too. And I think it's uh, definitely a cool moment of time and headed in what feels like a better direction than the imbalance that has been. Yeah. The reality it feels like people years. will pretty soon, hopefully five years is is the timeline I, I'm guessing it, just be able to run these things by themselves and not have to rely on the whims of a, of a YouTube or a, of a Twitch to make them. Yeah. Living. And even if the players don't change in terms of the big platforms, and even if really literal unionization slash like collective bargaining power, I guess, doesn't happen in the way, in the way it has traditionally, the other cool thing that gives power back to creators is the ability to earn non-ads based income, selling things, selling goods, selling products off of the platform, sometimes on the platforms, but not being reliant on that ad revenue only is really important and, and really cool and sort of ties back to some of the stuff you're building. Anyway, I know we've uh, kept you a little longer than intended. This was an awesome chat. Really appreciate learning about dots. Really excited to, to see how things go. And thanks again for coming on the pod. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was definitely a great chat. All right, man. Hope to talk soon. See ya. See ya. That wraps this excellent episode of Creator Kit. If you like this episode, please don't forget to leave us a rating on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does make a huge difference to us and it just takes a click. Creator Kit is brought to you by Highbeam, the message management solution for creators. For more creator resources, visit us at highbeamapp.com or follow us on Twitter. See you next week.